In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. We're back, baby! Woo! <laughs> That's right. So, hello, listeners. For you, um, you only had to endure just a short week of hiatus um, from our excellent content. Uh, <laughs> but Amy and I, hello, Amy. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Uh, and I, being Sarah, um, we actually have not spoken in about a month because between the two of us we've had various weekends away and vacations um so yeah yeah it's we're been very busy people guys <laughs> yes just like non-stop action just social really important really important busy people and just like i'm sorry this is you got bumped <laughs> yes i mean uh we're not paid to entertain you. We're not like <laughs> dancing clowns for your amusement. Right. Um, sometimes we need a break. And so we took a break. But um, between various things, um, both planned and happy accidents, the four weeks off for us turned into only one week off for you. So You are welcome. <laughs> yes, that was a lot of hard work. Um, now... Uh, to, as per usual, I do have a question for you, Amy, to kick off, uh, this week's episode. And now this may seem a little bit out of left field. Okay. Just forewarn you. Um. Well, this whole movie was out of left field for me, so it checks out. I don't even think this was on a field. Yeah, that's true. Um, but here's the question. So... If the technology turns out to be available by the time we are old and on death's doorstep, mm-hmm. um, would you like your consciousness to be downloaded into a computer? Um, <laughs> that's a nah, no, no, I don't think so. No. Uh, I get it. And is that what's happening in this movie? <laughs> I mean, sort of. Wait, okay, because yikes already. But um, I, hmm, that's tough because, I mean, my initial response is no. But then, you know, there is, it goes back into our idea of, like, immortality, right? So. Right. I don't think immortality 
is as gla- <laughs> I don't know if people think it's glamorous, but I don't think it's as glamorous as it seems. I think it can sure. get very dark. But if this was a technology that everyone had access to and therefore everyone sort of becomes immortal, then then I would, yeah, I'd also want that too because I don't want to be like the only dead guy. <laughs> like, the and then everybody, I'm missing out. who actually died. Yeah, everyone else is like, that bitch died and the rest of us are still kicking it. Like, I don't. I don't want to miss out, but... Mm, you don't want to have FOMO... Correct. ...of immortality. Correct. So I think we should keep it as it is. I mean, death is sad, and it's, you know, not fair and all the things, but, like, it's worked for this long. I think we should Why keep it. Why not just keep up with, <laughs> with a quote-unquote good thing? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I would want to either... Because also it's like consciousness is not the same as like your personality. Like, um, yeah. like I, I mean, there are certain things or like ideas or experiences I've had that I'm like, yeah, maybe that would be nice to like keep for human posterity or whatever. Um, but it's not as though it's me inside the computer Um, right right so when you so I guess also I would need I guess clearly a little clarification on like the parameters (laughs) of uh is it just like your memories and experiences are saved and downloaded but you like are you is the consciousness (laughs) aware of being downloaded yeah that's I mean, I don't have answers to these questions. No, I need answers. Um, but, so, I okay, so I should say, I already introduced us, but I'll do it again. I'm Sarah Walsh. This is Amy <laughs> Walsh. You are listening to See You Next Week in Space. And... We're talking about consciousness and immortality. Yes, and we're talking about specifically kind of being... If a human being can be turned into something living inside a computer. And the reason we're talking about that is because, Amy, what movie did we watch this week? A real stinker, in my opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, we watched uh, the 1982 Tron, um, not to be confused with later iterations, Tron, what is it called? Tron Legacy? Is that what the later one is called? Yes. Um, so this is the original 1982. Um, I don't know much else about it. Sure. I barely know that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is really shaping up to be a butt banger <laughs> episode. Um, so, yes. And we'll, we'll talk about this much more as we go. But the general kind of premise that Tron relies upon is that there is our reality and Mm -hmm. a computer reality and people in our reality can enter this computer reality and I kept I I, the whole time like VR kind of but you're not in VR, it's not virtual reality. You are in a computer dimension. And is it really... That's weird. I don't get that. And is it really... Because there's... 
Okay, well, I'm sure we'll get to it, but, like, I know at the very beginning, it's, like, computer computery, computery, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm already out. And, but then <laughs> uh, but then it says, in the real world. Yes. So it's, so it's not, like, so, hmm, is it, oh, gosh. It, he's playing a game, but his, like, his other consciousness or, like, game consciousness is separate from him, so it's, like, or they're doing the same things. Do you know what I mean? Kind of. Um, so here, okay. So, yeah, we'll keep, we'll keep trying to work this out. But I will say <laughs> part of the confusion is that the movie itself doesn't really hold itself to answering this question. Okay, that makes um, me feel a little better. But, like, I just, the whole time I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about a different movie that is seemingly unrelated which is the movie Zoolander and whoa you know have you like do you remember in the final scene of Zoolander when um Owen Wilson's model character like busts into the fashion show and he's like we found the files and they're in the computer and <laughs> like he's like I'm gonna show them to everyone and then um Melody from Hey Dude is like yeah. oh no I see what he's gonna do and then he smashes the computer on the ground and he's like but where are all the files because <laughs> like, they're yeah. supposed to be in the computer um oh you know and I just kept thinking of that line over and over watching this movie because it's like oh there's like the real world bits where it's us you know people like us doing people things and yeah. then most of the movie is this quote-unquote in the computer world and yeah which is not the same as virtual reality because virtual reality is actually outside of the computer <laughs> like um what we're watching in tron is this interior world um of what it might look like if we rendered like circuits and what have you as though it were like life. I, kind of. I feel like it was like the first episode of Black Mirror ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, no one had like, sex with a pig in this one, Amy. I'm sorry. Oh God, that's. Oof. I'm but scarred by that. I, I know. Well, that's it. and they made that the first episode. Why? Because like, of I just, the conversation we're having right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, we've watched other episodes of that, so it didn't completely deter me, but it was like, yikes. Yeah. Um, the, But the thing, <laughs> I will say what this movie could have done for me personally. Don't I don't care about anybody else, any millions of other people who watched it, but me personally if it had been shorter <laughs> and more and more TV length, I might have been able to like grasp onto it a little more. And granted, it's not even long. I get no, it. No, it's like, like 92 minutes. <laughs> I, I get it. I have a problem. Well, let's talk a little bit about anyway. all of this because to me, probably the thing I like best about this movie is the visuals. Like those were pleasant uh -huh. to me, and and I know that e that is not what everyone would describe it as, but I enjoyed it. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about like how this came to be and like what the goal was, I guess. Okay. Um, so Steven Lisberger 
is the director and writer of Tron. And he was inspired to come up with this movie um, by like the release of the Pong Atari game um, oh. in 1976. Uh, and like, I guess just watching that made him think about this whole thing that I said before of like, what is it like to be in the computer? Um, mm-hmm. And so that was like the, the seed of this idea. But then as well, he was also inspired by Alice in Wonderland. So, you know, we can see that that whole idea, like, go down the rabbit hole. And actually, Mm. yeah, now that I'm thinking of it, when Flynn goes into uh, Tron land, he goes down a hole. Oh, Um, does he? I forgot that. Like a tunnel, kind of. Um, So it is about, like, this portal to another Mm. dimension or another world. Um, I could have gone for a Queen of Hearts in this. That would have been fun. (laughs) <laughs> instead you got a man dressed up like a cake later mm. in the movie didn't um, need that so and and you'll you can also see that in fact even the name of the character that Lisberger initially created was this character Tron um mm. and Tron even sounds a bit like Pong like it's just yeah like Tron um and initially what Lisberger wanted to do was to do some sort of, like, animated film short about this concept. Um, Yeah, that's a better idea. But then, um, and in fact, now the most recent Tron thing is an animated series that Disney has done. Oh, Um, Oh, yeah. But, so the original plan was to do this animated short film, but then it started getting kind of built out to also include this connection to the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, and the connection was such that, and this is, you know, in the late seventies and early eighties, basically the idea was that, um, because at that time, quite a lot of people's information was already being stored on computers, like your social security number and your driver's license and like various other records about you. Um, what? <laughs> I'm sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> now it's even more obnoxious, but like, um, So basically they were like, oh, so if a person exists in the real world, then, and we're positing this computer world where their data is stored, then that, some kind of mirror image of that person exists on this computer grid. That's Mm. the premise to some degree. Mm. Um, And so that's why, that's how they make this kind of story connection between things happening in the real world, people existing in the real world, and then similar types of people existing in the grid um, and also using the same actors to portray these things. Um, origi- I also read that like people were like, oh, they use the same actors to save money. But in fact, they were like, no, because we just figured it was already confusing enough and if we had Same. had like, well, and I, I truly, I was like, oh man, if you had had different people in those roles, I would have oh, really wait. been lost. Like, yeah, yeah, like if the if Jeff Bridges' consciousness was played by somebody else, right? Oh, forget it. I, you know, oh, forget it. I would have just been like, and like if Tron and Alan weren't played by the same people, like. Even though technically they're separate characters, I'm like, no, I would have had no hope 
of I basically had no hope to be as it was. So like th- that would have been like an absolute deal breaker for me. Yeah. Um so as I mentioned before, uh Disney was the studio that ultimately decided to take on this project. Um probably unsurprisingly Lisberger had some trouble getting anyone interested in this concept. Um, but eventually Disney went for it. Um, and so this was also, I just, I wrote this when the movie came on. So this was done by Buena Vista, which was the same production company, like kind of separate wing of Disney that also did black, the black hole. So, Oh God. Yeah. So they they need some help. (laughs) I think we can see some kind of connective tissue maybe between those things. Um, the, and so now to turn to the visuals, because I, I would say to me, what is most, the reason why Tron has remained a classic in a sense is not because the story is good um, and not because it's super original as a story or even coherent as a story. The reason why it has remained kind of in the zeitgeist of science fiction is because it looks cool. Yeah. Um, and it looks different from any other movie that existed in 1982 and kind of from any other movie that has existed since. Um, because when you watch the, like, cause I have watched Tron Legacy as well and that certainly looks cool, but by the time we get, cause, and that's in 2010, but by the time 2010 rolls around, we actually really do have like CGI graphics and all this stuff. And it changes the look of the thing quite tremendously from what the original version was. And there is, I don't know, I like, I'll just speak for myself. I really liked how this looked. I, I don't like just because it's so unusual looking, I guess. Um, so, and what, so what contributes to that? is three different components. Um, Backlit animation, some of the first use of CGI in any movie, um, and then live action sequences as well. Um, And so, do you know what backlit animation is? Had you ever heard of that before? No. Okay. So you'll see in the outline, I took some stuff from Wikipedia to try and help me understand what it was but basically uh, what you do is you take your actors you put them not in front of a green scene green screen but a completely black set Mm. and then you film them in black and white and then you kind of um run the negatives of the film through a series of different kind of um color overlays that go on top um, and black out certain parts and then add color to certain parts. Um, And in the case of this movie, a normal shot for this movie involved up to 12 different passes of these different colors and blacking out processes to get the final result. Jeez. Just so like... Oof. So you're like, so you're manually taking the film and like going like, okay, this one is going to be like the yellow 
overlay onto this. So that's what we're doing with this one. Okay, got, great, doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's like, oh, now we're doing the blue one. Okay, great, doing that. Wow. And like so on and so on to get the, so that finally when you kind of like run the film through, it's got all these different layers at, at least this is my understanding of it, like on top, that mm-hmm. then, and then you kind of like film that to get the final, you know what I mean? Like, wow, yeah. So incredibly Sounds labor, labor intensive. intensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure this is why no one does this anymore. Yeah. Or ever since. Like, like, yeah. Um, and then in terms of like the, the overall look of the movie, uh, there were at least three um, kind of visual artists involved in the process as well. Uh, hmm. One of the most kind of influential is a French comic book artist called Jean Giraud, um, who was also known as Mobius. And he did most of the main sets and costume designs. Um, the vehicles were mostly designed um, by an industrial designer named Sid Mead. Um, mm-hmm. And then the kind of backgrounds were designed by a commercial artist named Peter Lloyd. But all, just as the filming process itself was quite complex, what I got from Wikipedia is that those three guys ended up, even though, like, you know, one was supposed to stick to one thing and one was supposed to stick to another, um, they ended up having a lot of crossover in mm. their various design work. Um, now, do you think people liked this movie in the 80s? Like, do you think this was a big smash? I mean, uh, no. I don't know. I mean, I guess, maybe. I, I, I could see if it is something that was so, at least visually... Um, kind of groundbreaking or different I could see that being a thing especially in theaters I bet you it was cool to see like on the big screen sure um so I guess my guess would be yeah probably yeah so yeah that was kind of the general reaction was people loved how it looked but they did not get it didn't think the story made sense which I feel the same um good I'm glad uh this was Nominated for an Oscar for visual effects. I don't believe that it oh, won, really? though. Um, and in fact, like at the time, it was Disney's highest grossest, highest grossing live action movie of the past five years. So hmm. um, it did. So it made $50 million globally in that initial release. Um, and I think hmm. it only cost something like $17 million. Um, Oh, wow. But nonetheless, Disney thought of this as a failure. This did not well, perform. Well, they're greedy. <laughs> this did not perform up to their expectations. So I don't know what they were hoping for, but they're greedy. <laughs> but it, That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, but I get again as we. But talk, I mean, if because it's labor intensive, I could see they'd them wanting it to be a big, big smash. And if it was just sort of like uh, lukewarm, right. You know, right. And this also goes to what we've talked about before about this era of Disney in the early 80s where their movies were just only ever doing okay, kind of. Yeah. Um, especially like the live action ones. Um, yeah, just stick to animation, guys. I mean, I know that's like harder in its own way, but just like 
Give us some freaking animation. That's what we were good for. I know. Um, so turning to the cast, uh, there aren't actually that many people we need to know in this story. Um, I didn't. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it simplifies anything. It just we don't nope. need to know a lot of people. Um, the main character is uh, in the real world a person called Kevin Flynn who in the grid at least initially is also known as Clue and that is played by Jeff Bridges who is 33 when this movie was released and I actually so young you're only two years older than that but you're saying it in a way that sounds (laughs) like I'm not sure what to take away from that well I've a, I feel a lot older than that for some reason, mm. but he just he just looked so young because I'm used, yes. so used to Jeff Bridges as, you know, like, like a grizzled old man. Yes, and I lo- I love Jeff Bridges and I like him as an old man. I like the whatever, I like his vibe as an old man. But the, it was funny to see him as like what's supposed to be kind of like the uh, what's male lead. What's I don't is there right. uh, is there a masculine term for ingenue? <laughs> uh i think it's just man but okay uh, he is, it was funny to see him playing a man yes yes no i agree with you the first time i saw this movie um just for my own pleasure uh i thought the same thing i was like oh yeah young jeff bridges that's interesting yeah um, what I didn't know prior to doing research for this episode, and I probably, I feel like I should have known this. Um, he was the son of the actor Lloyd Bridges, whom I'm not super familiar with, but also he's the bro- the brother of Bo Bridges, who I absolutely have seen before. And when, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh yeah, they look very similar. They look like yeah. brothers. Um, but I did I, had, I feel like I knew that, but I can't picture who Bo Bridges is at the moment. Uh, he looks a lot like Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, I, I like I. <laughs> I just can't picture what he's been in or anything. But yeah, yeah. I, that does ring a bell. Um, so that was like I w- I was over forty when I learned that. Um, because <laughs> you were also, today years old. <laughs> yeah, because uh, also guys, I turned forty in the hiatus. What what? I'm an old. Grown. Oh, so wow. old. You're seven years older than Jeff Bridges was in this movie. I know, and I'll. You're never... older than everybody. Let me hold on. Everybody, let's listen. Oh, I will on the, this one page. I'm not oh, older no. than. Walter Gibbs. You're older than the old guy. You're older than the guy who was 800 years old. Uh, Gross and rude, Amy. Uh, I'm now realizing I forgot to put his actual name. I'm going to have to get that quickly. Um, It's something like that old man from... Anyway, I've looked... Yeah, okay, I found it. Good. Uh, That... Whew, that was going to be a real uh, problem. Um, How dare you? So... We all know who Jeff Bridges is. Um, yeah. But what I thought was interesting about this kind of moment in his career is that, so he had a big break um, early on and appeared in the last picture show in 1971, which was a very kind of famous Oscar, highly nominated Oscar movie of that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Throughout the 70s and 80s, mostly seemed to be in what I would characterize as kind of B-movie sort of things. Mm. Um, and and the same year that this movie came out, he also voiced um, 
Prince Lear in The Last Unicorn, which was a movie mm-hmm. from my childhood that I rewatched recently and was like horrified by how disturbing it was. And like, why did I watch this as a child? Yeah, um, did, did they kill the unicorn? That sounds no, familiar. It's, it's just got a bunch of weird shit happening. Um, yeah, well, you liked a lot of weird stuff. I did, but also things for things designed for children in the 80s were like, nothing wrong with this. Kids will love it. And it's like, this yeah. is just and an, it was a like, drug-addled nightmare. Why do you think kids or it was it? Yeah, or it was like Willow, and it was like nightmare-inducing. Not for or me, just like yes. yeah. Yeah. Um, I hate that movie. But then by the time we get into the 90s, we start seeing him become the Jeff Bridges that we think of now, the long hair, the kind of like mm-hmm. um, stoner voice, all that sort of... I mean, he kind of always the had dude, that, but like the dude from right? the big Lebowski. <laughs> um, of course, I am legally obligated whenever I mention the big Lebowski to say it ruined a generation of men. Every man really? that I... Every man that I know of of my age fucking loves that movie. They like idolize the dude. They think it's the best thing in the world. And I You wanna know a secret? What? I guess it ain't a secret no more, but I've never seen it. In I fact don't recommend it. Shots fired, because I feel like I, I know that most people do like it. I guess maybe specifically dudes, but um I actually remember, when did it come out? What year was that? Anyway, it doesn't matter. I think 98. I think I went to the movies once with someone. (laughs) And it was the time when that movie was in the theaters. And we like walked into the theater to see something. I don't remember what. And like it started happening. And like it was, and it was the Big Lebowski. Because I remember it was like a lot of Jeff Bridges in like a robe. And I was like, this is not what we came to see. What theater are we in right now? (laughs) I don't know what this is. Because we had come to see probably something like stupid and girly. And we were like, what is happening with this like old man in a robe? (laughs) This is not for us. Uh, No, I mean, that's the whole thing is like, to me, much as it's beloved, the big Lebowski is like aggressively not for girls. Uh, (laughs) And not because it's gross, but just because it's like, what it even is this? Um, but <laughs> but that certainly played a role in kind of putting him into the super, like, kind of top class level of the acting world that he is in now. Yeah. Um, and it, he also appeared as this same Flynn character in the 2010 Tron Legacy as well. Oh. Um, which, Tron Legacy isn't bad. I feel like it actually makes... A much better story um, than Tron. Uh, but I just kind of like someone who's like, he was a big deal by the time he was in Tron Legacy. And he's like, I'm not too big of a deal to do this. You know, like, um, which I always feel like says something about the person of like their character or like, I know that this was a part of like what helped me get to where I am. So sure, I'll be in the sequel, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed that about him. And most mm-hmm. of all, I enjoy the fact that he has been married to the same lady since 1977. Oh, that's cool. You know what's funny is you wrote that on <laughs> you wrote that on the outline and I had been reading it this whole time as married to some lady <laughs> since 1977. <laughs> I was like, okay, I, mean, I guess we don't have to care about her. That's equally true. Um <laughs> But just, it just some lady. <laughs> it just slightly changes the tone. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
so the next character in the movie of import is known as Alan Bradley in the real world and the titular Tron in the computer grid. And that's played by an actor named Bruce Boxleitner, who was 32 when this movie came mm. out. And in fact, we've talked about him before because he was like that captain dude um, in Babylon 5. Doesn't even ring a bell. <laughs> but okay, it was a I lot of episodes you. ago, but like, we, so we've um, talked about him. Okay, good. Um, Don't care then. Then we have a, car- a person who plays three roles in this movie, which I think is the most of any of the other actors. He plays in the real world a character called Ed Dillinger. And then in the computer grid, he plays both Stark, Sark, excuse me, and the master control program. Um, and the actor who plays all three of these individuals is David Warner, who was 41. Uh, he was older than me. I know. I saw that when, when we were, I know when we were talking, but I, it's like the same. Um, don't turn me to 40. I'm just barely. (laughs) You're basically 40. You're basically 41. Basically. Which means means you're like, yeah, which means you're basically like you're as old as the old man. So I just need to start going around and being like, hello, little pretties. Let me. Okay. That's terrifying. That's. And here's my my fingers curling saying come closer come closer let me tell you about the 90s um that is truly harrowing (laughs) that is like really scary and want to know why because i believed it i do want to tell people about the 90s a lot that's true i I mean yeah that is actually a good character like a a witch (laughs) She could be on Witch's Court. Yes. But a, like, a, a witch who's just like her quote-unquote witchiness is just telling young people stories about the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, actually. Yeah. And she could, like, ride in, like, a VW bug that's been, like, or, enchanted. Um, <laughs> love that. Or something like, oh, shoot, what's that? Uh, like a hoverboard something and that wasn't really 90s but like something um that was what was big in the 90s like in terms of like itchy clothes okay no doc martens <laughs> no Chokers. i was gonna say oh she could ride in on some doc martens <laughs> <laughs> just fly around in a big doc just, martin <laughs> yeah that is very witchy know. there is that old woman who lives in the shoe she could yeah. do that um now we've got to get serious, Amy. We got okay, to sorry. Um, so David Warner uh, is a British actor, and his biography made his early life sound very sad and unpleasant in many ways. Um, but he found his way to acting, and his first credit on IMDb is in 1962, when he would have been 21 years old. Um, and of the things that you might have seen him in or her or like kind of the more um, top tier stuff he's been in. He was in the omen. Um, oh. He was in time bandits uh, and he was in teenage mutant Ninja Turtles Two: secret of the ooze. 
Um, that how have I how have we not watched that yet? <laughs> I'm not. That sure. sounds very science fictiony. It sounds like it sounds ooze is equaled science fiction. <laughs> it might truly. It might. I don't know because I don't think yeah, I ever because watched I that think, one. <laughs> I, okay, well, we don't need to get into this here, but Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah, they're mutants, and they, right. like, get mutated, a.k.a. science. Okay, anyway. Yes. Um, Wait, and- Dennis, why does it say Dennis Charles Nipples? <laughs> or Nipples? <laughs> <laughs> okay, but that was so that you anticipated the really great joke I was going to make. Oh, sorry. Um, no, it's fine. So he's been in these, he's been in a number of things. Um, most recently, he played like the old Admiral in Mary Poppins Returns. Um, oh. But to me, the credit that I like best of his, and I do not <sighs> know what this thing is, is something called Little Malcolm and his struggle against the eunuchs. From 1974, and in this thing, whatever it is, um, he played a character called Dennis Charles Nipple. Okay, I have no less than a thousand questions. <laughs> the, oh, first of all, Little Malcolm and his struggle against the eunuchs. This was a TV show? I don't or, know. What that sounds inappropriate. <laughs> like, Let's see what and de- I and might be. Able I, I mean, to find I love. I love a character named Dennis Charles Nipple because. Can you? <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is, like, they had any choice to, of what to name a character. Indeed. And that's what they came up with, and Unix. I mean. I just I like I don't I said I had a lot of questions and then I'm realizing I like I I am drawing a blank on the questions because it's just I need to watch that whatever. So that is. here is so it was a movie made in West Germany. That I feel so, helps us understand some stuff. Um, yeah. And the description on IMDb says an art student is thrown out of college. Depressed, he comes up with the Party of Dynamic Erection, a near-fascist party that promotes male sexual dominance and which attracts a couple of other unsavory, confused characters. Oh, my God, he's a men's rights activist. Oh, no. Dennis Charles Nipple. Wait, but, okay, now I'm going to sound stupid, but I'm stupid all the time on this, so who cares? But... Isn't a eunuch, eunuch is the name or is the description of a man without a penis, isn't it? Yes. Okay. I don't understand what that movie is. So, okay. It's like a movie about incels who create their own political party. Yikes. That, it, so that just, pre, that just like anticipated, they were like almost 50 years ahead of their time in that. So, so progressive in a way. I feel bad now because I wanted Little Malcolm and his struggle against the Unix to be a lot more fun than what it's I did too. out to be. I know. I wish we hadn't looked it up. I know. Anyway. Moving on. Um, <laughs> next, there's a character that is called Laura in the real world and Yori in the computer land. And that's played by an actor named Cindy Morgan, who was 28 when this movie was released. Um, she, 
started out as a radio DJ and weather girl. I can't remember. I think it was somewhere in the Midwest, but I can't totally remember. Mm-hmm. Um, and then moved to L.A. in 1978 um, and started taking acting classes. And very quickly, she started getting gigs to work in commercials, um, which makes sense to me because I thought she was really beautiful. Like, um, and I think one of the things she was in was an Irish Spring series of commercials. Do you remember Irish Spring Soap? Yeah. Does, is it not still around? I thought it was still around. I mean, I mean maybe I it remember. is. But I just remember, I wouldn't have seen her commercials, but I do remember in the 80s them having commercials of very beautiful ladies, like, bathing in streams and stuff and then it would be like if you have irish <laughs> spring it's as it, though it makes you feel like you're bathing in the oh in a you know mm-hmm. so she just seemed when i saw that i was like oh that totally makes sense because she's like the look of that sort of person um mm-hmm. she so and her big break came well i don't know how big it was but a good role came very soon after her moving to la she was the main kind of love interest in Caddyshack in 1980. Um, And I think, I have to assume this is when she met um, the person that she characterizes as her acting mentor, which was Rodney Dangerfield. Um, Excuse me? Yes. Wow. The, I can't get no respect. Ha ha, like ha cha cha. I don't know really how, my Rodney Dangerfield needs work (laughs) is what I'm saying. Well, um, it's fine. It's not really like. Does he say ha cha cha? I feel like he... I have no idea. <laughs> I literally have zero ideas. All I all I can picture from like all I picture when I picture Rodney Dangerfield is big bug eyes and yes. the movie Ladybugs. Yes, I which I also watched recently, and he is like, <laughs> oh Jonathan, like. It's yeah, I mean, that, I think, yeah, and that and movie, by the way, just to is like, definitely, like... Just to give everyone a visual, because also Amy and I can't see each other when we do this, I'm, like, putting my hands out akimbo and, like, raising my shoulders when I'm, like, <laughs> what, do you, what do you take me for? I got can't get no respect. And then my hands are going back and forth, like... Yeah. You know. Yeah, he's... I mean... I, I know we've all we've talked about like almost every other movie in creation besides Tron so far, <laughs> but like it gives but, a nice, we need to paint the landscape that Tron came out in. Yeah, but but Ladybugs, if anyone has not ever seen it, it's a tough one I think to watch as an adult and not have like a kid. Um, oh, it does. I mean, it was I enjoyed watching it again, but it, yeah is like grossly inappropriate in every yeah. way that you can really imagine. inappropriate really inappropriate and like why is that i the, what i remember from watching it in more recent years is like i mean all the like thing of the boy playing on the girls team and all of that aside right. like why is his why is that kid's mother with that old ugly man <laughs> That is the question for the ages. Because <laughs> he yeah. doesn't even have money. Like, normally you yeah. would say, oh, it's because he's got money and so she gets, like, something. In, in that movie, he's poor as fuck. And, I don't, you know, God It's knows. very strange. Um, but for whatever reason, Rodney Dangerfield... Um, that is so interesting. Cindy, Cindy Morgan's acting mentor. But unfortunately... I mean, because her biography does have some very, like, lovely things to say about him. So it sounds like they had a nice, like, friendship. But his tutelage did not really turn into, 
like long-term acting success for her. I mean, no offense, but that's not shocking. <laughs> no, no. Um, so most of her stuff stops around 1995, like on IMDb. Um, but she does still seem to occasionally do some stuff every now and again. Um, the next character is Dr. Walter Gibbs, uh, who is known as Dumont in the computer realm. And he is played by an actor, which I just looked up, named Barnard, or no, I guess it's Barnard um, Hughes, who was 67 uh, when this movie came out, which is 27 years. About your age, age, pretty much the same. He and I should just go and start a bowling league together. Yep. Um, Well, I can't, Amy, because he's dead now. Thanks oh, for so God's much. Sake. He's been dead for 15 years. Thanks for bringing it up. I hadn't heard that yet. Because he was 67 in 1982, Amy. So it's I was a little only, bit older than you. I was one then. Just a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, Bernard Hughes um, was a big Broadway guy, and in fact, it seemed like most of his um, big successes were in the theater rather than mm-hmm. um, on screen. Though he did do quite a lot of, you know, he had a lot of credits on IMDb. Um, so his Broadway appearances uh, spanned 61 years, um, and his movie career, 54, so long, wow. long time acting. Um, his first credit is in 1952 as a cast member on Guiding Light, um, <laughs> and then he did a lot of TV work all throughout his life. Um, oh, he was on Blossom, too? Yes, and when I saw that, I was like, oh, I think I kind of do remember. I didn't remember that there was an old guy in Blossom, but then I was like, oh, yeah, I think I do have a memory of him being there. Um, but the things that most of us, perhaps, or our listeners would recognize him from is, first and foremost, he was Father Maurice in Sister Act 2. First and foremost. That's his most important role. I'm sure he yep. knew, he knew that. Um, yeah. And then I, and when I saw this, I was reminded of it as well. He's also the grandpa in Lost Boys. Did you ever like, have you ever seen the movie I don't think Lost I've Boys? ever, I don't think so. It's a good, it's a vampire one with teens. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, so he was the grandpa in that. Um, and then as well, similar to good old Jeff Bridges, uh, Mr. Hughes was married to the same woman from 1950 to when he passed away in 2006. So congratulations mm. for being a good husband, sir. Well, I hope you were. I hope you at least stuck. You stayed the course. I don't know if that means you were a good husband, but I hope that he seems like he would probably be. I think Father um, Maurice was a good husband. Yeah, that monk who shouldn't have a wife, he probably <laughs> yeah. was a good husband. Yeah. Um, and then the last character that I just want to mention, because we've actually seen this actor before, the character's name is Ram, and it's played by an actor called Dan Shore, who is 26. And we've actually seen him before because he played Billy the Kid in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, I knew I recognized him. Yeah. Did you? No, I didn't. No. Oh, I did. 
I was like, oh, I know you? that guy. Um, yeah, and so he similarly seemed to hit a bit of a dry spell in the mid-90s, um, but seems to be coming back and doing some stuff like over the past like five or so years. Um, hmm. So these are like the, these are really the only characters we need to know. And you would think like, well, Sarah, that's like six people Surely this story, I don't know why you and Amy are having so much trouble with what this story is. And I Here's would say, oh, you, you give your theory on why the story is confusing. Oh, because it's not good. And ah. because I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> that but, doesn't help. Um, yeah, so that's my story. You go. <laughs> my thing is, is like, yes, it's only six actors, but it's a total of one, two, three, four seven, nine, 11, 12. So it's six people, 12 different characters. Yeah. And that gets confusing. It does get confusing. Under the best of circumstances, it would be a bit of a challenge. But yeah. this gets even weirder still. So are you ready to talk about Tron? I guess so. Let's rock. So we open the movie, like from the very start, there's like these flashing lights and the flashing lights kind of coalesce into the shape of a human man. And then there's the title card that says Tron. And then we go into this like overlay of like a 2D world where like lights are shooting around on lines and like all this kind of stuff. Um, and then we arrive to Flynn's arcade and the camera is focused on like this game that's called Light Cycle. And we see that the light cycle is just like um, like a blue line and a yellow line kind of like moving around the screen. And then the, com- the camera like goes through the screen into the computer world. And we arrive in... Now, this is one of the challenges that I had when I was doing this outline, which is... Some of the locations in the computer world, I don't really know what they are or like what they're supposed to be. So, and that happened immediately. I was like, where are we when we go into this computer world? So for all intents and purposes, I was like, this seems like it's some sort of control command center. So we're in this room, Sark... Uh, is talking to the master control program. And what we learn is that the master control program is like the dominant computer program in this computer world. And so he has been, and Sark is like his main underling, basically. Mm -hmm. And so the master control program, which I'm mostly probably going to just call MCP, from here okay. on. Uh, MCP is like, hey, Stark, Sark, I want you to collect computer programs from different parts um, of the computer realm 
and bring them to the arcade to compete in competitions with me. Uh, and specifically, what MCP tells Sark that he now wants is not just the accounting programs that he has been uh, kind of acquiring, but he wants military programs to compete against. Now seems like a good time to say, do you have any questions? No, I have no idea what's happening already. <laughs> um, I Hopefully, as time goes on, this will help. But, um, <laughs> but no, but you shouldn't really understand what's going on because none of this has been explained yet in the movie. I was just checking to okay. see if you had anything you needed to clarify at this juncture. Nah, I'll okay. let it get, well, I'll let us get a little deeper. <laughs> okay, first. okay. Um, then we go to computer jail and <laughs> an accounting program has been brought to computer jail to compete against the MCP. Um, and the computer and the accounting program is like, I can't participate in this um, competition. I need to get back to doing accounting because my user uh, kind of like has set me up to do that. And then when he mentions his user, uh, the jailer like punches him in the gut or something. I don't totally remember. And he calls him a religious zealot. And he's like, there aren't any such things as users. Um, and so just shut up about it. In the meantime, we're introduced to the character Ram, who is also in this jail. And he's just watching everything transpire. And when the accounting program gets put into a cell next to Ram, um, Ram says, I believe in the users too. And so I think this is maybe like the first maximum it's like the first five minutes of the movie yeah and so I guess it's meant to function as a cold open of a sort um because then then we get a title card which is the only one in the whole movie and seems wholly like it doesn't belong that says meanwhile in the real world and I yeah. was like which immediately well, is a little confusing because yeah. Because that was sort of a little bit my question before with, like, the idea of, like, real world. <sighs> That's why I don't quite understand, like, like the, the VR slash, like, just totally separate consciousness aspects of it. Okay. Because if we're saying meanwhile in the real world, that means the other thing is, like, I don't know. I don't know what my, even my question is. I guess I'm so confused. So I don't know if this is your question, but just as a clarification, even though according to this premise, all of us have a digital version of ourselves that exists on this computer grid world land, um, we are not conscious of what's happening to them and they are okay, not okay, conscious totally... of what's happening to us. We are not connected. Okay, Okay, that's that. Okay, that does help because, um, I mean, it doesn't help. It makes it more confusing, I guess. But it, but it helps with my confusion. Yes. Of specifically, okay. like, okay, got it. So right. when because they show it, they say meanwhile in the real world, and he's on a computer. So yes. I was thinking that he was like 
playing the game or whatever the hell well, he, you know. it, he it, well, he's not playing a game. So, yes, we go into the real world and we get to Flynn's arcade. Um, and Flynn is a hacker. And he is on his computer hacking into something using the program that he designed. And the program is called Clue. Now, the reason why this whole scene is confusing is because it actually goes back and forth between the real world and the computer world right away. And unlike what I just said, Clue and Flynn seem to have some kind of connection. And the reason that's so is because Clue is a program that Finn designed to help him hack into the system of what we'll, we'll learn is called NCOM Corporation. Um, and Flynn is hacking into the NCOM system because he's looking for data that he wants. And so, so basically, when we're going back and forth, we're seeing Jeff Bridges typing away at a computer trying to hack the system that he wants to get into. Simultaneously, we're cutting into the computer land where we're seeing Jeff Bridges as Clue, be, and he is, at, he is actively hacking the system by like, I, oh yeah, this is the part where he's in like, um, like a gun uh, chair where he's like going all around shooting stuff in the computer land. Um, so that's why it's confusing because in this case, Flynn and Clue are connected because Flynn is directing Clue to do the hack that he wants to do. Hmm. Does that sort of uh, make sense? Yeah. So we can move on. It's fine. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, fine. It's fine. I don't care. So in the process of this hack, Clue is captured and then brought before the MCP. And the MCP is like, who sent you? Who is your user? What are you looking for? Why are you trying, basically like, why are you trying to hack my system? And Clue refuses to give any information and eventually, the MCP decides to, quote-unquote, de-res Clue. Do you know what that means when I say de-resing Of course not, but... <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. But my guess is, in, like, computer talk, de-res would be, like, kill, because you're making yes. the resolution go down. Right. And you're removing their resolution aka their substance i don't yeah, know they're being erased basically yeah so the mcp erases clue and then the final thing that the mcp says is get me dillinger and then um we cut to the real world again and we're seeing this fancy helicopter it's got the word income on the side of it and then we follow from the helicopter into this super fancy office. And so we, so as the audience, we're like told, this is Dillinger. This is this person that MCP wants. And he is the owner of Encom Corporation. 
And when he goes into his office, he has this massive desk that is completely black and kind of in the shape of like a long hexagon like like the the side where you would sit is long but then the sides like that are um just for show I guess or whatever but like those are hexagonally shaped somehow and it looks a lot like, you know how in the 80s there were those game cabinets that were like tabletop? Yep. It kind of has a look like yep. that. It looks like the Miss Pac- Mr. <laughs> yeah. Pac-Man, or Pac-Man yes. like, things that they had at like old like yeah. arcades. And that's the whole point of it is because this is actually like a computer interface. His whole desk is a computer interface and it connects directly with the MCP. And so the MCP starts dictating words onto the desk for Dillinger to read. And um, he notifies Dillinger that he's fairly certain that Flynn has just tried to hack into the NCOM system again. And he's like, Dillinger, you know, like you're out there in the real world, so you have to, I can, I can only do so much, you know, on my side. You have to, like, deal with this problem basically. Meanwhile, still in the NCOM building, but down where all the plebs work, um, we're in a cubicle and the character Alan is sitting at his desk and he is also doing some kind of like coding or programming or whatever. Um, And when he's trying to do whatever the work is he's trying to do, um, he gets a notification that all group seven access has been restricted. Um, and because he tried to get at some sort of file, he gets this message on his computer screen that says, you have to report to Dillinger immediately, like you're not permitted to look at this thing. So off he goes up to Dillinger's office. And um, when they show him like getting in the elevator and like walking through the hall to get to Dillinger's office, my handwritten notes, say such glasses do you remember the glasses he was wearing yeah they were they're go ahead no you no you describe them they were just the quintessential 80s glasses where like his eyes only needed like a third of the glasses material and then like so much of his face was covered with glasses like it's kind of like back in style for, I feel for like. a bit it did kind of come back but the but the this version or like I should say the 80s version of this is like very square super huge like uh, glasses on your face and I was just like wow this is such a look that I don't even know what to make of this um, but I guess what they were trying to do is like this guy is maybe a bit too handsome for us to believe he's good at computers so we'll just stick the world's largest glasses on him and that will solve that problem Mm-hmm. You make him look like a real nerd. Right. Well, because they do that computers. to um, Laura as well. They put super huge ass glasses yep. on her too. Yep. Uh, and then, I mean, I wish they had done, and I maybe they did, and I missed it. But 
I wish they had done like some type of like makeover scene <laughs> where like each of them took off their glasses and they were like, ooh, they're attractive. And we're all like, oh, I never would have known. They were just wearing those glasses, just totally changed what their What a look. reveal. Um, <laughs> so Alan goes up to Dillinger's office and he's kind of irritated because he's like, I was just working on something and now I can't continue. And Dillinger is like, well, we've just had a security breach and so all access is going to be restricted for the next couple days while we figure out what's been going on. And that's when Alan reveals like, oh, well, the thing I've been working on is this special internal security program called Tron. Um, and the whole point of Tron is to prevent these sorts of hacks into the system. And Dillinger is very upset by this. He's like, you didn't tell me that you were doing this. Like, what's the deal? Um, and surely shouldn't you connect it to the MCP? And Alan is like, no, no, that's the whole point is Tron is an independent program. And his role is to stop um, foreign incursions into our system. And he doesn't mean foreign in the sense of like, spies from other countries what he means is just like we've got this mpc mcp system that's running the entirety of ncom corporation and tron is designed to make sure that nothing else gets in there basically does that make sense yeah i mean as much as that can make he's sense. a security program you know? he's like mcafee antivirus where <laughs> yeah yeah I got, it, I got um it. so anyway Alan leaves and as soon as he does uh the MCP is like Dillinger I can't believe you let this internal security program uh like kind of be developed on your watch because I I am the one who's bringing in external programs to grow my like brain basically and I've been doing that for months and so you have to get rid of Tron because Tron is gonna eventually like kind of um bring attention to this thing I'm doing uh and and if there are any other similar programs those all need to be de-rezzed basically get gotten rid of um now just for clarity's sake the MCP, that's what that whole opening gambit about like doing the competitions and the video games, that's what that was about. That MCP has become larger than just running NCOM Corporation alone. It has started um, taking programs from other corporations and institutions and businesses and in, and bringing them into its system. Does that make sense? I mean, again, like I struggled with like the science and computers of it all, but yeah, sure. It's like I'm trying to think if there was another movie that has a similar premise. If you think of MCP as an artificial intelligence, which I guess it is, um, it was created for the purpose of like being the overseeing entity of NCOMs, like everything, like 
what's our production schedule? What are we doing here? And it was designed to like do all the thinking for the whole corporation. But then it started to kind of want to expand beyond that into other realms. And because everything that's, you know, like a computer thing is connected, it just started taking from like, oh, this is an accounting software from banks. I'll take that. Um, and, and he's been, and MCP has been doing this surreptitiously for quite a while. Um, and with each new program that it takes from somewhere, it gets smarter. Oh, got it. Okay. So that, that is important, I think, to this story. So meanwhile, we cut to a lab um, in the NCOM building where Laura and Walter are doing a massive test to turn an orange into nothing. <laughs> Love that. Um, Alan shows up just before the test, and I guess we're meant to understand that he and Laura are dating, and he's complaining about the fact that his access has been restricted, so he's not going to be able to do the work that he wants to do, um, and he mentions this hack. Um, and Laura is like, oh, I wonder if it was Flynn, um, the kind of wunderkind person who used to work here, and we later learn used to also date Laura. So that's a, that's a complicating factor. So uh, Laura eventually convinces Alan that they need to warn Flynn that Dillinger is like on to him and that he better stop doing these hacks. So to do that, they head over to Flynn's arcade um, and they get to the arcade and, um, oh man, this was, I thought this was so funny. So they're, they get into the arcade and they're like standing next to a kid playing a video game in like, you know, one of the stand-up cabinet video game things. And the kid is dressed in the world's most 80s outfit that you can even imagine. Um, he's got a sweatband around his head. He's got, um, like, sweatbands on his wrists. He's got, I think his whole outfit is white, but, I, but it's a light color of some persuasion. And so it's like a polo with a popped collar, white shorts, um sneakers and then his socks pulled all the way up to their like highest bit so they're like just under the calf and I was just like what is this kid wearing <laughs> um but I shouldn't be too judgmental because it was very much of the time um and so it just so happens though that this is the kid that Laura and Alan turn to and are like where is Flynn and he's like oh just right over there um, I have to assume this was like somebody's kid and they were like, yeah, you can be in the movie. Um, so they find Flynn playing a game called Space Paranoids, which is basically like a bunch of weird like killer archways that like fly at things and do crazy shit. Um, and we've actually seen these arches before. Um, in the scene where Clue was trying to break into the information that Flynn wanted. So, like, we're supposed to be like, hmm, is this a Clue? 
Who knows? Um, so he finishes his game and he gets like a big high score. And he's also like dripping sweat while he's playing this video game. He's like sweat, like the triangle at his neck and then like really big sweat stains under both of his pits uh, when he's finished. And so then Laura is like, hey man, um, have you been hacking into the Encom system? And he's like, we can't talk about this here. It's too public. Let's go upstairs. So Flynn owns this arcade. So he lives upstairs above the arcade. Um, nothing weird about that. <laughs> anyway. Totally normal. So they go up to his like living area and he takes off his sweaty shirt. So we have like one shirtless scene with young Jeff Bridges. Um, and as soon as they get, like, he shuts the door, he's like, yeah, I totally have been hacking into the system. And I'm like, wow, that took no, like, finagling whatsoever. <laughs> like, you're just like, yeah, I've been doing it. Um, but he says, but I haven't had any success. Every time his, like, program that he designed to kind of burrow into the system, he keeps getting, um, like, derez, basically. So... Laura and Alan are like, what on earth? Like, why are you doing this? And he's like, you know these games, Space Paranoids? And I think he mentions a couple others. He's like, I designed those games. Dillinger stole them from me. And that's why he's now kind of like the, the owner of NCOM. And he has hidden away the information that's the proof that I made these games. So that's what I've been trying to do. Um, now, Laura and Alan take in this information no problem. They're just like, ah, that makes complete sense. We believe you. Um, and not only do we believe you, but now, though, like both of them came to the arcade like being very, I don't know, ambivalent about Flynn. And immediately they're like, not only do we believe you about your programming getting stolen, we're going to help you prove it. Which seems like a big 180 to me. Like that you're going to start by, we came here to like wag your finger at someone and now you're like, ah oh, yes, we'll get involved in this crime to help you. <laughs> Well, you know, the movie has to go somewhere. Yeah, I guess. And it just so happens, Alan is like, um, the program that I've been working on, Tron, uh, that could help you find what you're looking for. Um, but unfortunately, like, the whole system has been shut down, and so I can't do anything. And so they're like, well, the natural thing to do now is to break into NCOM and do this hacking thing. So that's what they do. Um, we jump to them standing outside an incredibly big like bank vault door uh, at the side of the building um, and they are able to hack that super fast and easy. Um, in the meantime, while they're doing that, Part of the reason I guess they're not caught is that the MCP and Dillinger are talking together 
And the MCP reveals that it has now become interested in not only acquiring programs from various banks and such, that now he wants to start acquiring information from the Pentagon and the Kremlin. Um, and that he also is wanting to uh, access the Chinese language stuff that he has come across. So he's like, Dillinger, get me a program to help me understand Chinese. Um, so, and needless to say, whatever Dillinger may be in terms of a villain or a hero, he is deeply concerned when it becomes apparent what MCP has been doing on its own time. This is not what the plan was. Um, and in particular, MC Dillinger is like, well, why do you need this stuff? Like, what are you doing? And the MCP reveals that its goal is to control all humans. So, I mean, as we know, it's always just a wait and wait until the AI reveals that it's taking over the world. That's just like, we know that. Um, so this, so Dillinger at the very least has the moral rectitude to look concerned about this revelation. Um, this is not what was intended. So... In the meantime, Laura has taken Flynn to her computer terminal in the lab so that he can start doing the hack looking for the information that he wants. As soon as he starts hacking, the MCP starts to talk to him directly and um, is like, I don't know what you're trying to do. I'll stop you. I have a, you know, whatever. And it turns out that what the MCP's plan is is to take that laser that Laura and Walter have been working on that turned the orange into nothing. It turns out that it didn't turn the orange into nothing. It turned the orange into a digital version of itself. Okay. Yeah. What's a digital orange? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have no answer. So, okay. so, in fact, the MCP activates the laser and aims it directly at Flynn, turning Flynn from a human man in the real world into a digital version of himself. Okay. So Flynn disappears from sitting in front of the computer. And this is where... I said there is actually this like series of different graphics that like look more and more like a tunnel or like a hole that he falls down. So it is like the falling down the rabbit hole of Alice and Wonderland. Um, and Flynn kind of like comes to and he is now in the computer grid and he's super confused as anyone presumably would be. Um, and in the control room, the MCP tells Sark that he has acquired a new program and that that program needs to be immediately, uh, put into these various competition scenarios that have been happening over the past months. 
Um, and in fact, for some reason that I don't understand, MCP takes Sark into his confidence and says, this new person who's arrived is in fact a real person. They are a digital version of a user. They are not a program like what has been happening. And specifically, MCP says, I want you to put uh, Flynn into the most kind of dangerous competition scenarios because I want him to die. I want him to die on the grid. And Sark is hesitant about killing a user because this has never happened before. Um, and the MCP basically says, if you're not going to do it, then I will kill you um, because, he, because the MCP controls like the amount of energy that Sark gets. Um, and so he's like, I can just derez you if you like. And he's like, no, 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 I will, I will do it. <laughs> um, so Flynn then is put into jail next to Ram and he starts asking Ram like can you tell me anything about what's going on here and Ram is like oh yeah you've been brought here to play video games and Flynn is like I've played video games I'm good at video games and Ram is like oh that's great for you I'm I used to be an actuarial program which is actuarial is like another insurance thing um and he's like, I used to do that. And so I really am that, like, this has been weird to play these games for me. Um, and so this is one of the things I don't, I mean, there are many things I don't understand. But one of the themes that keeps coming up but then doesn't ever seem to matter in this movie is this whole, like, religion that supposedly is developing in the computer grid about users. Um, because um, this is when Ram is like, yeah, yeah, the reason why we've been brought to do these competitions is because we believe in the existence of users. And so that's like they're being persecuted for that belief, basically. Yeah. Why did they have to make it like some weird religious adjacent thing I don't know because it doesn't it doesn't matter to the story to have that um yeah. but it it exists all the same um weird and so Sark is like so then Sark comes and explains like you're gonna do these different competitions and you need this ID disc like that is what's gonna kind of identify which thing which tests you have passed and stuff so don't lose this thing um, they, this is also when Flynn is introduced to Tron, um, because Tron is like the most successful competitor in these, uh, like matchups. And that's because according to Ram, um, Tron fights for the users. So again, there's this like weirdly kind of metaphor about religion thing that doesn't ever seem to go much of anywhere um but I actually now that I'm sort of remembering I think that concept is worked up quite a bit more in Tron Legacy than it is oh, well then I won't be watching in that. this movie um so okay then we see Flynn being paired up against 
um, some an accounting program and Sark is watching and he's basically like, you're going to play Hyalai to the death. Yikes. Do you know what Hyalai is? No idea. <laughs> I just heard to the death. <laughs> Don't you remember? This was a scene where like they each, they had like a funny thing that looked like a glove, but it like extended their arm in a curve and they were throwing a ball back and forth. Oh yeah, sort of. That's <laughs> like a real game called High Lie. Really? Like in real life or like... In, in real life. In in this oh. realm of now, <laughs> in 2021, not just... Why is it called High Lie? I don't know. It's ju- I just know it's a game that exists, Amy. I need to know the answer. Well, I'll Things try and have find... Names should have a reason for having those names. I'll try and find out. It's um, not a big deal. Oh, okay. Um, here you go. I found it. High Lie is a game that originally was developed in the Basque region of Spain. And the specific term High Lie was coined by someone named Seraphine Barroja in 1875. Um, and its name refers to the word Merry Festival in Basque. What the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Aren't you glad you know that? I will forget it immediately. Uh, Yeah. I've never heard of that game, and that that seems a little roundabout for a name for it, but whatever. Um, So anyway, they're playing Deadly High Lie, and um, in the context of that, uh, Flynn starts to seem to be doing better than the program that he has been put against. And so then at one point, the, the competitor is like hanging from like one of the digital circles and looks like he's on the ed- like he's about to drop and then presumably die. Um, and Sark is like, okay, go ahead, kill him. And Flynn's like, no, I won't. And so instead, Sark kills the program. And then, for good measure, Sark tries to kill Flynn. But the MCP is like, no, no, no. I want him to stay alive more. I kind of want to toy with him a little bit more than this. And so... That's a little sadistic. It is... It's not going to be great for Flynn, is all I got to say. Um, so after this contest is over, Flynn is returned to his jail cell where in the as he's like walking in, he passes Tron and he notices that Tron looks exactly like Alan from the real world. And so he says, are you Alan? And Tron is like... From the real world, Las Vegas? I know. If only. (laughs) So he says this Alan thing in front of Tron. And Tron is immediately like, how do you know my user? And Flynn is starting to figure out that something weird is going on. Like he's only just starting to figure that out. Uh, So he's a, a little bit more cagey. And he's like, my user knows Alan. Like out in the user world. Um, and in fact, 
my user and Alan are working together to try to stop the MCP, and Tron is all for that. So then Tron, Flynn, and Ram are all put into a new competition where they're all going to be motorcycles. Okay. Do you remember that? I don't remember anything. I don't remember, <laughs> like, I don't, I, it didn't, this didn't, like, I did not process any of this. I believe you. <laughs> uh, this is the part where, so it's like the three guys standing on a grid thing and then some, like, light bars, horizontal light bars. Maybe I sort of remember. I remember kind of, like, some of rise the, up and then they hold out both, they grab the light bars with both hands and then, mm-hmm. the, like, it actually is a pretty cool, like, thing where, like, they, their bodies stretch out to be, like, in a motorcycle, and then simultaneously, like, the motorcycle, like, appears around them. Okay. I don't know. I thought it looked cool. I'm sure, I, I believe you that it did, because the parts that I do remember of in the computer world or whatever were odd-looking, but cool at the same time. Yeah, so then they get into this chase where Flynn is like, this is our opportunity to escape. And they, like, kind of, like, bash out. Because, like, what they're supposed to do is stay on this grid and do this, like, motorcycling around. Um, But Flynn figures out how to, like, break out of the wall to go off the grid and just start using these motorcycles to get to other parts of the computer land to somehow defeat the MCP. Once they break through this wall and are escaping, the various kind of archways that shoot things show up, and then also some tanks show up that are chasing them. So there's like a motorcycle, digital motorcycle chase that's happening. Um... Needless to say, Sark, who has been monitoring all of this, is extremely pissed off about this turn of events. And some, I didn't, I wasn't even total, I didn't totally follow how this happened, but eventually uh, the three uh, programs, Tron, Flynn, and Ram, all managed to kind of get to go fast enough and far enough that the arches and the tanks and Sark can't find them. And where they end up is this, I, and this is where things really started to get hard for me of like, what do I call this place that they are? Because this is where the background looked all like crystally. And, they, and it's where they drink that water for a while. Do you remember that part? Sort of. <laughs> Stop, don't ask me if I remember <laughs> parts because it's not going to go well. Well, um, anyway, they end up I'll in this. I'll tell you if I remember a part. <laughs> Okay, um, that'll be like next week. You'll be like, oh yeah, I remember yeah. something now about this movie. Yeah. Um, so they end up in what I'll just call a crystal valley. I'm not really sure <laughs> what it is. Um, and from the, in this vantage point, they can see kind of like, or maybe it's a crystal mountain because they can see like the lay of the land of the whole computer zone. And what they can see in particular is what they're calling the input-output tower 
for the MPC. Basically, I guess it, I don't even fully understand it, but let's just say this is like the thing that makes the MPC, MCP able to exist. So they see that in the distance. And Tron is like, that's the only place where I'll be able to communicate with Alan. And that's, so basically like, let's see if I can try and say this in a way that is helpful and makes sense. Um, Alan can't communicate with Tron as he would normally do because Dillinger stopped giving access to the system. And so normally Tron is in a certain amount of communication with Alan and he has not been able to. So Tron is now trying to be like proactive and say like, well, if Alan can't communicate with me, I'm going to go and communicate with Alan about what's going on. So that's the plan. And the way that they can do that is by getting to this tower. Because okay. that's, that's where like the point of communication is. So then they find this weird pool of water. And they all start drinking it. And the other thing that I thought, I mean, there are many things that were weird. But the weird part to me about this water drinking thing that they're doing is they like all laid down fully out on their stomachs to drink water from this thing. And I was like, can't you just like cup your hand and like you could sit next to the water? There's many ways. But like why do you need to be fully splayed out shoving water into your face with your hands. That seems strange to me. And Flynn is a bit puzzled. He doesn't, because he hasn't told them that he's not a program like they are. So he's trying to like play along. And so he says like to um, Ram, like, what is this? And Ram's like, you gotta, like, don't worry about it. It's pure energy. It's what we need here, you know? So then I think Flynn does end up drinking some water and they all kind of like, the light on their suits kind of like intensifies to show that they're getting more strength or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so, oh, this I also should just say. So I chose this movie in part because I watched it for my own pleasure a few months ago, sometime during like more serious isolation times and had a good memory of it. I was like, I think I remember liking this. And then this whole section that I'm just now talking about was as if I had never seen it before. <laughs> I had no recollection of this whatsoever. And so for that, and I do remember the circumstances of why I watched Tron initially, and it was to have an edible and watch Tron. <laughs> and Fair enough. So... Like, it's, my mind just cut out the bits of the movie that I thought were boring, I think. Because I, I don't remember this at all. Like, I, when I was watching it, I kept being like, I thought I had seen this movie. This is completely new. <laughs> um, so anyway, just to put some context to what I'm saying. Um, 
So then once they're revivified, uh, Ram, Tron, and Flynn get back on their motorcycles. And the goal now is to head to that tower and to protect Tron so that he can get to communicate with Alan. So there's this is another big chase scene. This is probably what you were talking about where it got real loud all of a sudden. Um, the tanks are attacking them. There's a bunch of sh shooting around. And then uh, Flynn and Ram are hit, basically. Their bikes are hit. Um, and Tron is able to escape. And Flynn and Ram are left for dead. And Flynn, it turns out, actually has survived this attack. And he's able to transfer some of his power into Ram and, like, revive Ram. Um, and then they find a damaged arch ship. And they get into that. And then they, too, start heading toward the tower to see if they can keep helping Tron. And while Flynn is driving this arch ship, Ram is like laying on the ground. It seems like he hasn't really recovered from the crash. And he and Flynn have a bit of a heart to heart in which Ram asks Flynn, are you a user? Um, and Flynn reveals that he is. And I think the reason he does that is because he can tell that Ram is dying and so he wants to, like, give him some hope because of this quasi-religious subplot that's happening. Um, and that is what happens. Like, basically, like, Ram uh, kind of just dissipates and disappears. And so that's what death is in this land. Meanwhile, Tron has arrived in the tower... And he finds his friend, Yori. And he's like, we have a mission. I need your help. Please come with me. And also, like, you got to get out of here because things are about to pop off. <laughs> um, and so Flynn arrives at the tower soon after, but he can't find Tron. So he decides that what he's going to do is to pretend to be one of the bad guys and so he changes his lighty suit from being his blue. lighty suit. Well, how else would you describe yeah, it? Yeah, no, that's, that's accurate. Actually, this is, I don't think we discussed this before. Can you try and describe what Tron or Flynn or Yori look like? What is the outfit? <sighs> uh, no, I can't describe it. <laughs> they look... <laughs> They look sort of like a, uh, I want to say like, mm, like weird, like robot astronaut suits that have like, uh, that are filled with um, glow sticks. Perfect. Couldn't <laughs> have said it better myself. <laughs> um, yes. And so basically... The good guys in this movie have blue glow sticks on their person and bad guys have red glow sticks. And then it seems like there's maybe some neutral guys who are just yellow. Um, 
And so the whole thing is that Flynn is now trying to pretend he's a bad guy, so he changes his glow stick from being blue to being red. Indeed. Um, meanwhile, Tron and Yori have been climbing up the tower to find Dumont, who is the program who controls the tower, but like, M it's MCP's tower, but Dumont is like, I guess the way you could think of it is like, Dumont is an older program that is, has now become like essential to the functioning of MCP's program. I think that's how you might think of it. Um, and Dumont is, of course, played by old Walter from the real world, um, also known as Father Maurice from Sister Act 2. Uh, do you want to try your hand at describing what he looks like? No, I can't recall. <laughs> he's the one who looks like he's in a cake. Oh, I forget. I forget this part. No, you explain it. This one had a real Alice in Wonderland feel to me. Like, there wasn't much that was very Alice in Wonderlandy, but this guy's outfit 100% seemed like it. So... Think of a cake, a round cake, and then uh, picture like uh, a person sitting in the middle of that cake, but rather than being like the flat surface of the top of the cake and then just somebody's like kind of torso coming out of it, the top of the cake has been designed to come up to the shoulders of the person. So it's like weirdly sort of triangular on the top. And the person's head is sticking up out of this like, it looks like it had to have been made out of foam or something. And so his head is sticking up out of the top. I'm, if I remember correctly, his arms are sticking out of some holes at the front. Um, so he can like have like at the elbows, there's his arms coming out. And then most, I mean, this is already very strange looking. Even stranger is then he's got a weird hat on his head that is like a super tall chef's hat, but with a strap underneath his chin. How do I, I literally like... I don't really remember this. This was, I was, I just was like, this was really the part where I was like, I have never seen this before. I've never that seen. Seems, uh, that seems hard to forget, though I forget it. So I, who knows? <laughs> um, and more to the point, I was like, this poor guy is jammed into this weird fucking thing. He, it also looked a bit like, um... I don't know why, I I thought it was a bit like Wizard of Oz looking as well. Something about it, it just because it looked so nonsensical as a choice. Um, but I guess what it is is because unlike the other programs that we've seen that are like just people walking around, I think the reason why Dumont is, because he's fixed to the ground, through this thing like he's not moving around and so I guess it's because of this thing that I said earlier which is like 
his program has become a central kind of architectural feature of the tower. And so he can't look like everybody else, I guess. I don't, I don't know. But it, it's truly one of the weirdest things I've ever seen, captured on film or otherwise. Um, so they run up and they tell... Tron and Yori explain to Dumont the plan that they have because Dumont is like the one who's protecting this data stream that Tron wants to access. And so Dumont is a good program. So he's like, okay, fine, Tron, I'll let you go to the data stream. And this is when Sark realizes that something is going on with the data stream and he gets very upset. And he runs off to try and stop this. But he's too late because Tron is already in the data stream. And in the data stream, he and Alan are able to briefly speak to each other. And Alan explains that um, he has now programmed the disc that Tron has been carrying from all the competitions he's been doing, the ID disc. Alan is like, now I've set it up so that this disc will deactivate the MCP, but you have to get to kind of the central core of the MCP and throw this disc around to have it work. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I can't go more into it than that. Don't. Please I don't. I have no clue what's <laughs> happening. Um, so... Luckily, Tron and Yori manage to escape, or not escape, but they leave Dumont and the data stream just before Sark arrives. And then Sark takes Dumont prisoner to try and torture information out of him of like what this plan is and what Tron is about to do. Um, okay, so then... Tron and Yori manage to escape on a boat that sails in the air, and it's called... Wouldn't a boat that sails in the air be called an airplane? Well, no, because it looks like a boat. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, that's, that's all I can say is it, it doesn't look like a plane. It looks sure. like a boat. It's got a sail at the front of it. It's officially called the Solar Sailor. Okay. Um, Although there isn't any sun in this world, so I'm not totally sure why that's a thing. But anyway, they escape on this boat in the sky. And somehow Flynn, this I didn't even figure out how this happened. Somehow Flynn finds them on this boat. And he tells them that Ram was not able to escape, that he didn't survive. And then he also reveals to Tron and Yori that he is a user. And when he does so, Tron is like super excited because he's like, oh, you're a user, so you must have a plan. Like you can tell us what to do because, of course, Tron and Yori are programs, so they are used to being told by users what to do. Um, And Flynn is like, I'm sorry to reveal to you that, in fact, we don't know, like users don't have like secret knowledge or anything. Um, and that is a bit of a head scratcher to Tron um, because from his perspective, he's like, no, users always have the answer, but that is not the case. Then there was a part that truly 
I was like, what is this? Because then Sark is like, get the bugs going. And then there's like a scene where like these green bugs like emerge from the ground, I guess you could call it. And then they get bigger and then they're meant to like skitter off and attack the boat that Tron and Flynn and Yori are in. But then they never do. Yeah. I was fully checked out at this point. I'm going to be honest. I mean. Fair enough. It, this movie was short, but it felt long. <laughs> um, so then there's some more chasing. Sark is trying to catch up with Flynn and Tron and Yori to stop them from what they're trying to do. Um, unsuccessfully. And basically, the climax of the movie is that we arrive at this special core of the MCP. And the core is, this is where, like, have you ever been on those amusement park rides where it's like a big circle and it circles around and you're like pushed against the wall? I think that I have, but I used to hear I th- they used to have that at the um, the the Mayfair that they had at um, you know in Amherst, but yeah, uh, but I had always heard stories about people like <laughs> I've heard horror stories, and maybe it's just all fake to scare people, but I've heard that on rides like that because of the I guess it would be centrifugal force if you will mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. if you get ill if you get nauseous and ill you oh yeah the puke goes back oh i just thought it was that it would like fly back onto your own face that might be more accurate but i've heard that you can choke <laughs> on it so oh maybe yeah. i don't know so that's what the core of this thing looks like because okay. it's like got it's a circular room and then in the center is the kind of visual representation of the MCP, which is also spinning. It's this red spinny thing mm-hmm. um, that somehow also has eyes and a mouth. Yikes. You do not, this is not ringing any bells for you. I like literally have no idea. Were you eating an edible when you watched <laughs> this movie? I was like doing a lot of things and like most of them were not watching the movie. It was just like on in the background. So that's on me. But um, and I meant to kind of watch it again. And literally, truly, I started watching it again and realized I was immediately doing other things. And I was like, why am I even trying? I'm going to just watch it in the background <laughs> again and not pay attention. <laughs> like I'm going <laughs> to shut this off. Um, yeah. So I no, none of it rings a bell. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> this is like the MCP's personification um and uh, and like around the edge, so there's like this outer circular wall and then this inner cylindrical thing that's spinning 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 crazy. And a lot and standing on, alongside the wall are all the programs that the MCP has collected over these months that it's been doing that. Um, And it's not clear to me if some kind of like special ritual is about to happen or what, Um, but also the programs. So that's why I asked about the amusement park rides because the programs around the outer circle are also spinning a bit. 
Um, and they're the ones that are like in, in the amusement park rides where you get pushed to the wall and you're like spinning. And I think what it's supposed to be is that the MCP is going to derez these programs because now it has gotten all it needs from them and it wants to erase the evidence of what it's been doing. That's what I think is happening. This is right when Flynn, Yori, and Tron arrive on the scene. And Tron is trying to deactivate the MCP by throwing that ID disc around. So he's throwing a magic frisbee at the face of the MCP, which is spinning, spinning, spinning. And he ha but he has to throw the frisbee like a number of times before having success. But then, as Flynn and Yori are watching this happen, Flynn realizes that he needs to jump into the data stream that's coming up from the center of M the MCP, and that that will like somehow distract the MCP long enough for Tron's magical frisbee to work. And so then Flynn kisses Yori for some reason, I do not know, um, and then jumps into the data stream and the as soon as he does the mcp which has been glowing red this whole time changes to blue and then all the programs that had been stuck on the outer circular wall they are free they're allowed to run away and all the various lasers and colors um, all throughout computer land go from red to blue. So the MCP, I guess, has been neutralized by Flynn's sacrifice. And then y Yori and Tron kiss. Um, and then the camera comes up out of the same way that when Flynn was turned into a digital version of himself and like kind of falls through the digital rabbit hole. We do the same thing again, where because when he throws himself in the data stream, we come up out of the digital rabbit hole. And we return back into the lab. Flynn is returned back exactly where he was. He's sitting in front of the computer again. But what's changed is that the information that he had been looking for from the start, the proof that he had had his game designs stolen, is being printed out right next to him. And okay. as you'll see in the outline, like we've worked very hard to get this missing file and this proof. <laughs> and it's literally just like six lines on one piece of paper. <laughs> Mm. Which feels to me anticlimactic. Yeah. But it does say, like, game designed by Kay Flynn, blah, which I guess is all we need or whatever. But, like, I just was like, all of this minutes of being in this other realm and, like, looking for this stuff and conquering the MCP and deactivating it, the only result in the real world is that one sheet of paper gets printed out? Like... I don't get it. Simultaneously, as the paper is being printed out in front of Flynn, the paper is also, or the message on the paper is also being displayed on Dillinger's fancy computer table. 
And it's kind of like, he's got a look on his face of like the jig is up. Um, and then there is the final scene of the movie, which strangely might be the most like, why is this here scene of the entire movie? Because we're now on a rooftop and the end come and Alan and uh, Laura are standing on the rooftop and a helicopter that says Encom comes down. And I think, I can't remember, but either Alan or Laura say something like, oh, here comes the big boss man. And out of the helicopter steps Flynn. They all, like, do a bit of a, as you would expect in an 80s movie, a bit of a, like, hug and laugh as a group <laughs> thing. Uh-huh. And that's it. End of movie. <sighs> And yeah. I didn't understand why that last scene was there. I didn't, I didn't understand, understand what it why did. any of it was there. <laughs> well, that's apparent. That's like more <laughs> than obvious. Um, but I, I guess, because at the end of the movie, I was like, that was the final scene of this movie? Um, and I guess because it was supposed to tell us very quickly that like, because we don't know how much time has passed between what we saw in the lab and office of the printout, it's not clear how much time has passed, but some yeah. time surely has. And I guess it was meant to convey to us, like, everything turned out great. Dillinger presumably was shamed and then lost his job, and then Flynn was reinstated. And mm -hmm. great, I guess, is the end of that. Um, woof. That took a lot. Yeah. To get to here. <laughs> um, so, I guess let's just go for yawns and eye rolls. Yeah. Um, and I fear <laughs> this from you. Um, in terms of yawns, one yawn being edge of my seat, I loved it, couldn't keep my eyes off it. And ten yawns being like, no. Just couldn't care less about this. Yeah, that's what a, would you give it? Mm, I'm real sorry. This this was a big old ten for me. This <laughs> this is like a stinker for me, and that's surprising because we've watched like crazier, weirder, boringer things, and it's not even that it was boring. It just like really, I could not get into it. Like I, it did not, yeah. it did not grab me. Um, I appreciate some of the technical aspects of it. I, I, I get it, but it just was not for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess I have to give it a five because okay. it's like the visual stuff did keep me engaged, mm -hmm. but the story was just not coherent, at, like at all. Yeah. And so that is unfortunate um in terms of eye rolls one eye roll being uh, you know it's a movie about being inside a computer land um and 10 eye rolls being like i get that we're in computer land but come on what would you give it uh, i think i'll go like just and this is probably my sheer like just not getting the whole computer land thing, but I think I have to say like eight. 
It yeah. was interesting. Okay. I don't want to go like full 10 again and be like that person. <laughs> but... Just this sucked <laughs> from top to bottom. <laughs> but like, and it, I mean, then again, it's not like the, definitely we watch more like eye-rolly things, but I definitely didn't understand this one like a lot. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm, that's, that's why I'm giving it a high score. Yeah, I mean, I think I would, it's just hard to say because I'm like, is an eye roll just because it's outlandish or is an eye roll meant to be like about the story itself? It's whatever makes you roll your eyes. I rolled my eyes a lot in this movie. Yeah, I didn't roll my eyes a lot because I was too confused most of the time. Mm. Um, so maybe I'll still stick with five then because I okay. just... You just don't know how don't. to feel about this movie. You're just like... No. <laughs> I really don't because I will... So this, I think, is maybe a good way to wrap things up. I chose this movie this week because it was our first week back and I was feeling kind of weirdly like emotionally sensitive when it was time to pick a movie. And so, like, some of the movies that I have on the list that I knew for a fact were going to be, like, this is dystopian nightmare mm. fuel. I was like, I can't can't go there right now. I need yeah. something lighter. And this is definitely light, but I yeah. fear that it's too light <laughs> because <laughs> it makes no sense. Yeah. And, and while and, I can appreciate light and making no sense, like... It to me it really does depend on the day and the genre. Like when when science fiction makes no sense, like it's really, really tough for me. When like other types of movies make no sense, I can be like fully on board. I mean, I watched yeah. a movie called Monkey Trouble this week, okay? So like I Oh boy, oh boy. And don't get me wrong, I love that movie. But like Have I seen that I'm sure that you weirdly have I'm sure familiar. you have. Is that got Thora Birch in it? Absolutely, yes. It's a great oh, movie. Oh, no. Harvey Keitel, uh, Thora Birch. Are you kidding me? Oh, God, no. Oh. <laughs> so, I, I, just, I just Googled it and saw the poster. Yeah. Oh, man. So, oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> my, point be, my, <laughs> my point being this week, you can. there's a lot of other movies we've mentioned throughout that you could go ahead and watch that I recommend more. But the... I so my point being on specifically Monkey Trouble was I can enjoy uh fully like crazy like no real story doesn't mean anything wacky off sure, the wall Sure sure but in this genre that I that's really tough for me Oh yeah fair I mean I just I really and truly like I watched this movie recently like in the last 6 months and major chunks of it it was like I had never seen it before and and the chunks that I didn't remember changed my impression of the movie yeah like because like I said I chose it because I was like oh yeah I remember having a good nice time and I liked it yeah let's watch it well and it also watched... shows how mood altering drugs change your perception <laughs> of things <laughs> indeed indeed because I watched it with like increasing like incredulity I was just like (laughs) what have I wait what I just kept being like wait what um and and so yes that's all I can say I so by way of finishing up I don't think I need to ask you if you would recommend this no I I recommend monkey trouble (laughs) perfect perfect um but I would say I do recommend taking a little tiny look 
if you haven't already seen this, to see what it looks like because yeah. it is really visually interesting and, and it's cool. on Disney Plus. So if any, if people have so Disney if Plus, you already have that, it's easy to why do. Not? Yeah. Um, but I don't think I recommend it beyond that. Yeah. Um, unless you absolutely plan to be high while watching it, in which case it's a delightful film. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could say that for a lot of films, I suppose, but. Uh, yes. So, um, a pleasure as always, Amy. I am Sarah. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week in space. Or weird computer land. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.